For July 10th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 784. He wants to die in antiquity. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers, your smart and funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are talking about the things that we enjoy. We enjoy them more when we enjoy them together. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy today. I'm really excited for this episode because we're getting back to, you know, the kind of the roots of the podcast, which is that over summer, we would go watch a movie every weekend and then we would get on the podcast and, uh, and we would talk about it. And my goodness, this summer, we, we've not been uh, we've not been doing that partly because of scheduling and stuff partly because our lives are different now partly because movies don't have the same prominence in the culture that they did and uh, or, or don't have a prominence in the same way as, as they did when we you know when we started the uh, the podcast but I am so there's like an embarrassment of riches if you're into big blockbusters I'm so excited you know there's one man and you might say that he goes on impossible missions. You might say that, uh, you know, that, that, that he, uh, he is become death, destroyer of worlds. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Ethan Hunt and I'm not talking about Oppenheimer. I'm talking about Indiana freaking Jones, man. He drank the blood of Kali. He brought the, the Ark of the Covenant back to the, back to the United States to store it in a secret government warehouse. That's who we're talking about. Uh, Indiana Jones and the dial, uh, uh, extra strong soap. No, Indiana Jones and the, the dial on the TV. No, Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. That's, uh, that's what it's called. Uh, I'm uh, Matt Rather. I'm here with my co- adventuring compatriots, uh, Dr. Peter Fenzel, doctor. Doctor. And uh, Dr. Mark Lee, doctor. Doctor. Um, we begin uh, the film with Indiana Jones uh, as a, a hollowed out, broken down husk of a man. Well, no, we don't. Sorry. Uh, we begin with an exciting uh, flashback sequence uh, yes. where a de-aged Harrison Ford uh, and Toby Jones, the uh, like avant-garde British theater actor who became a movie star, um, are uh, are trying to steal what the the spear of Longinus from the lance of Longinus, yes, from uh, uh, from the Nazis. Um, but uh, they they stumble on something else instead. Mads Mikkelsen. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I don't know, Pete, you, 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 uh, I think are probably the most enthusiastic about the film. So I, I want, oh. I want to, well, I don't know. I, I want to kick to you. You said you loved it, right? And, and I think Mark and I liked it. And so I want to, uh, I want to throw to you, um, because I want to give it its best, uh, I want to give it its best, um, you know, a, a possible, uh, possible case, make the case for it the best that, that we possibly can. What on earth is Toby Jones doing in a, uh, in a heist of the Lance of Longinus? <laughs> well, first of all, spoilers for a great movie that you should totally see. And I believe the words I used were that it was fan effing-tastic. And I would stand by that as my reaction to seeing this movie. Uh, and of course, you can detract from it if you want. Uh, I don't really care that much. I love this movie. This movie is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, Toby Jones, of course, Matt was watching birds. That's what he was doing. Oh, he's a bird watcher. He had he had yeah. a binoculars. He was in the woods. He's a bird watcher. It's the middle of the night, but never mind. He's a bird watcher. <laughs> well, okay. So one of the reasons I love this movie is that the little interstitial discussions 
that take place between the big action set pieces are just rife with Downton Abbey-ish moments, just rife with discussions of things that seem extremely, you know, tertiarily related to the plot of the movie, but that are so important to the concerns of the movie. And so when this, when Toby Jones, noted uh, British theatrical actor Toby Jones, uh, is detained by the Nazis, uh, he is he is found, he is found out, and he is being held by them in this train, he is asked what he's doing, and he says that he was he was watching birds because there's a certain species of birds whose path has changed uh, because of the bombings, right? There have been, uh, there's a bombing that's happened and the bombing has caused the migratory pattern of the bird to have shifted. And so there's a bunch of bird watchers who are in the area who are watching the birds. Now, first of all, fun historical note. Second of all, some note on that note to start out with. I don't know whether any of this is on purpose, but there's all sorts of historical resonances to different little things that are being said in this movie. And you know how I'm kind of an author is dead kind of guy and the sense that everybody's interpreting things and brings a lot to the table. And the more you bring to the table, sometimes the more you take away, uh, which is, you know, maybe not conservation of mass, but certainly conservation of a good dinner. And as such, uh, this is something I took away from this in World War Two. There were British prisoners of war in German POW camps who, of course, did not have a great deal to do. And a couple of them who found each other were bird watchers. Not like a terribly common hobby for somebody who was trying to crush the Third Reich, you know, like and and who was uh, sort of captured while doing it. I'm sure there were lots of more popular hobbies at the time. But there were some bird watchers and they found each other and they spent a bunch of their time in the POW camp, exhaustively cataloging and viewing the migratory patterns of German birds. So there were, in fact, real-life bird watchers who were, in fact, tracking the migratory patterns of birds in Germany at the time. And those men uh, would go on to found the British Natural Conservancy movement, like and the, the movement for wildlife refuges, right? And, uh, and as we might even understand, a lot of sort of modern wildlife uh, preservation has this connection to the the Scottish the Scottish Ornithologist Club, right, uh, and, and other sorts of places that where uh, prisoners of war who had watched birds in Germany went back afterwards to uh, to more because of course they it was very regimented practice because they had nothing else to do to really formalize the watching of birds and so uh, that's one thing another angle on it and and I, and this is really what strikes me right is this is a way of looking at history. And this is a movie that's full of propositions for how you might look at history. There's and and of course, because the big fact of the movie and what's one of the things the Nazis say uh, at the time is, oh, you know, we have we have a historical relic that's on this train. Right. And first they think, oh, it's not the Lance of Longinus. It's the uh, it's it's the Antikythera of, of Archimedes, which is also on the train. No, 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 no. Your historical relic on the train is Indiana Jones. Right. He's a very important cultural uh, touch piece. At this point, at this point, he's he's getting on in years. Any discussion of him has to include some sort of reference to how his time is not now for any number of a variety of reasons. And by now, I mean, 2023, that, that Indiana Jones is not a character who now uh, is really uh, he's current. He's historical at this point. He describes a perspective that I would even venture to say the concerns have shifted so much that you can't really recapture the point of Indiana Jones. I mean, Indiana Jones was retro when the first movie came out. Sure, right. He's, he's speaking to a, a world that has a very different 
uh, different uh, information that's available to people, very different perspectives, very different culture, very different problems that it was trying to solve. Uh, and so, yes, not to defend what they were doing then, but certainly now uh, Indiana Jones is not, you know, and, the, and Raiders of the Lost Ark is not like an adequate way to look at Egypt, you know, as like a place to live, right, or as where people might go. But the point being that Indiana Jones is on the train. Indiana Jones is a historical relic. Uh, one of the views of history here is that wars are the big thing that happened, right? People are going along, going along, going along, and then there's a war, and then everything changes. The bird changes their migration because of the bombing, right? It's one of the ways that you could look at history. Uh, another way that you could look at history comes later in the film when Indiana Jones is giving a lecture about Assyrian ceramics, <laughs> uh, which seems very boring, but is in fact very interesting. But I think, uh, I think well, that's, I mean, that's what, that's what you think, you know, that's, well, that's, I mean, that's what well, he thinks. I, mean, I want to go watch the moon landing. So wait, 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 I want to, I feel like oh, yeah. we've made a disorienting transition, sorry, which sorry. is I not the, was... which is not the only one in this, in this film. So we, <laughs> we go from the initial scene, like, like a Bond film, it begins with an action yes. sequence and it's a flashback to where Indy and, uh, you know, abetted by a, uh, an English, uh, spy who is, or, or archaeologist slash spy. I don't know why, why are archaeologists the most intrepid people in the, uh, in the Second World War? I don't know. Um, the, uh, you know, who is posing as a bird watcher, try to steal the Lance of Longinus from the Nazis, try to recover, I should say, uh, the Lance of Longinus because I can, uh, I can use words to assert certain power relationships. And, um, and instead stumble upon uh, the Antikythera of Archimedes uh, and take it away. So that's then cut to the present day. And the present yes. day is, you know, the 60s and is post-World War II and is post-Vietnam, or I guess during Vietnam. And um, the uh, the astronauts from the moon landing are involved in a ticker tape parade outside the streets of Indiana Jones' apartment in New York. And he is not, uh, he is not into this at all. He instead grumblingly kind of gets up, uh, big ups to Harrison Ford for appearing, uh, shirtless and pantsless in, uh, you know, in, in this film. Um, if, uh, I feel like if an actress did that, we would call her brave. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm an equal opportunity praiser. So I want to, you know, just, uh, call him a boy Harrison for, uh, you know, um, Striking a blow for body positivity, uh, except he, uh, he pours his coffee, pours some whiskey into his coffee, downs the whole thing and, uh, goes for his like last day. He's retiring or something at, from his, his job teaching, uh, archaeology, teaching history to, uh, undergraduates at Hunter College in, in New York. Now you recall that, uh, Indy was an extremely popular teacher in uh you know in earlier films in the series that they they uh the students hung on his every charismatic word and you know there was a uh and the girls had massive crushes on him and i I should add as well that you know uh in the earlier films he's at this like ivy league-esque you know uh august college campus you know um with uh you know with fancy buildings and a quad and that kind of stuff and now he's been busted down to hunter um, you know, which is which is not not a bad school at all, right? It is like cannot, it is a straight up you know part of the uh, public college system in New York City. Yep. 
Um, and I think there is there is definitely meant to like, you know, he has he has uh, gone down in station in life in so many different ways. So he's he's so is he Pete, is he as popular uh, as once he was as a charismatic and dynamic lecturer? <laughs> Oh, I know. In fact, he's not Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. There's your segue. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> oh no, I thank you. I appreciate that. He's he is disenchanted, and they are disenchanted with him. Right. A great way to get an audience excited is to be excited with what you're doing, and so it's it's like that old commercial that used to run on TV. I think Ben Stein might have been in it or something, <laughs> where it's like uh, economics, distribution, accounting. It was for like the importance of education or something. Yep. Just how boring everything is. I remember a number two pencil snapping in the commercial. But Indiana Jones talks about Assyrian pottery. And, you know, the one thing you need to know about this is that it has a blue line on it. Right, <laughs> is what he says. Yep. Now, if you if you read up a little bit on the history of the archaeology of Assyria, it is like Indiana Jones stuff. It is like, hey, there's a hill over there. We don't know really what's there. The locals have these traditional stories about what they think is there, and they have sort of traditional names for it, but nobody's actually like gone in there and looked at it in thousands of years. We have these literary texts that say there might be something of interest there. Let's go in there, and oh, by the way, we've now uncovered you know the art and culture of an entire lost civilization, right? Like, like which is something of an exaggeration or mischaracterization, but the sort that you could use, have your entire own podcast to describe. Like, the early excavations of Assyria, and we'll add a link to the Metropolitan Museum of Art's uh, description of this, are some of the most exciting archaeology that's ever happened. And the fact that Indiana Jones, like, the most exciting archaeologist in the world, right, except for, you know, maybe Sean Connery, uh, depending on who you go for. But no, uh, the most exciting, he's an anthropologist, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, the most exciting archaeologist in the world uh, has become so disenchanted with archaeology that, you know, well, he believes all you really need to know uh, about the the Assyrian pottery is that it has this blue stripe in it. And I think that says something else about history, which is that history is a story that diminishes over time and that people are taught key facts about and they memorize and remember very specific things and so the way history is te- typically experienced is like, OK, when was the you know Spanish Armada, right? 1588 and, and whatnot. Um, what was it about? You know, who was involved in it? You know, all that stuff. Um, if you just know the date, you're already kind of a nerd. Right. And like uh, not everybody even remembers that, but that sort of gets drilled into you. But the idea that we all understand sort of big, broad strokes of history and we don't. Uh, really get into the uh, idea of the specific things that happened because it's boring, right? Um, and and Indiana Jones, of course, part of his sort of uh, conflict in this movie, part of what he's wrestling with in this movie is this this lack of validation about his life that he has led, which is coming to a close soon, unless he lives for another hundred years because he drank from the Holy Grail. But but uh, but it's like, oh, you know, like my marriage is is over. My son is dead. I have nothing to live for. I'm retiring from this job that I already hate. Uh, I'm Michelle, my former self. I'm rapidly aging. Uh, you know, what? what is it all for? Right. I've lost my enthusiasm for it. Uh, and also out there in the world, there isn't a great deal of enthusiasm for it. So, so there's, there's the idea that, you know, history is kind of a, a, a it's old, dusty tomes. Right. It's uh, it's it's key facts that you memorize that are forced. You're forced to memorize that you have no real interest in. Right. And so that's like another view of history. And I think that there is a strong case to be made that the movie opposes, but that you could make that Indiana Jones sort of deserves to be relegated to that kind of art history. 
that that Indiana Jones like it's a it's a movie that was important at one point. And it part the big reason that Indiana Jones was so important was because of the techniques that were used and it's in, in uh, the composition of its action sequences. Right. And like and it's other sequences. Right. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark is a movie that's constantly gone over as being really well shot, really well composed, you know, and Harrison Ford is a very popular actor. But like, you know, at the end of the day, Indiana Jones is an old movie. It doesn't matter anymore. Right. And uh, but you do know big things because about of the it. retrograde politics and the colonialism, all that country. Well, stuff. and also just because it's the nature of history and the passage of time. But yes, Lost. the retrograde politics. But it's like it's not like there's a whole ton of other movies from like 1980, whatever, that everybody watches all the time. Right. Like, uh, I mean, when did Raiders come out? Right. Like uh, you could say that the that the retrograde politics of uh, are the big the big thing, but also just like all of history kind of slips away. Right. Raiders sure. was just yeah. one that was sticking around. But no, I agree with you that 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 Raiders Raiders seemed so like, OK, before I go any farther, I do want to throw this out there and see what you guys think. One of my sort of big headline thoughts about this movie was that Indiana Jones, the king of the crystal skull, was struggling with the notion of, OK, why aren't we making Indiana Jones movies like we want to make an Indiana Jones movie, but we're not. Like, why aren't we making it? And why does it seem hard to make? And they came to the conclusion that Indiana Jones is not cool. Like, Indiana Jones is not cool anymore. So, like, to make an Indiana Jones movie, we've got to make him cool again. And that means we're going to have to change him a bunch. And people don't want to see him change. And that's a problem. But at the end we, of the day, we need to add a, a younger male action star yep, to it. And yep. then also, like, like, creature stuff. And, oh, by the way, aliens. Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, well, okay. Indiana Jones this time can like run across the ceiling beams of the warehouse, you know, sort of dancing like a Naruto character, you know, ninja like in superhuman fashion. He can survive nuclear blasts. He could do. Yeah, he could do all sorts of crazy stuff before. But now it's all up to 11. And now there's also like there's a younger, hotter guy. And like there's, you know, the spies are more exciting and there's faster paced stuff and there's lots of CGI. And ultimately it kind of rings hollow because I don't think the problem with Indiana Jones was ever really that he wasn't cool. And this is the movie about the real problem with Indiana Jones, which is that he's old. You know, he was old when they made him in the first place. It was a retro movie. And so, you know, wait, when the you time say, wait, 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 the three things, it, it, the, the character is old, the actor is old, the concept is old. And you're saying the concept is old, right? Yes, because the it's, concept is old. Yeah, because yes. it's a throwback to, you know, the sort of like Star Wars a little bit, like to the sort of film serials of the earlier 20th century that Spielberg and Lucas grew up watching. Right. Yeah. And that like they were very that they were sort of very devoted to. So, you know, it would be like me wanting to make a movie about like, I don't know, Sky Commanders or something like that, because I really liked that cartoon as yeah. a kid. And I like bought the toys and things like that and being like so that the yeah, the 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 concept was old, but the, they they invested it with so much, you know, I don't know, uh, uh so much of their own enthusiasm, right? That they, they really made it cool, even though it was, uh, it was old. I mean, I, I, sorry, I guess what I'm saying, Pete, in, in what sense is it a problem that the, that the concept was old that, that when they made it? Or is it just like, this is the defining thing about this franchise and you're not reckoning with it in the crystal skull? You're reckoning with something else that you think is the problem, but, but is not. Yeah. I, I, I don't it. think That's it's a problem for Raiders. Right. And I don't think it's a problem for Temple of Doom. I don't think it's a problem for Last Crusade. Sure. I think it's a problem for Crystal Skull because they get into their heads about it. And they're too concerned with Harrison Ford himself getting old. Right. Uh, well, not too concerned, but they're so so concerned with that that they're losing track a little bit of 
okay, so like there part of what makes Indiana Jones work is the resonant iconic iconic imagery that is employed in the film composition. So like, you know, Marion is hiding in a basket. You turn around, you watch, you know, Harrison Ford's eyes, and then he has to like search through all these baskets that are in a, a, a plaza, right, and in a market. Uh, in order for that scene to have any currency, there has to be a place that has a whole ton of baskets, right? And like, there aren't places that have a whole ton of baskets as much anymore. And so, like, the visual vocabulary of Indiana Jones, which was already a little bit dated, but still very like vivid when the first Indiana Jones movies were being made, is slipping away and slipping away, and it needs to be replaced with a different visual iconography, or at least that needs to be acknowledged and wrestled with in some way uh, while you're telling the Indiana Jones story. Like even the golden idol, people talk so much about Indiana Jones stealing relics from tombs. He gives most of them back or he tosses them in crevasses, right? Like, <laughs> at least in the movies, there's a whole bunch of video games and comic books and everything. But like, you know, uh, like, like, the, the idea that Indiana Jones is about stealing artifacts from the developing world is just like not at all really the focus of the movies uh, from the perspective of how they're being made. Uh, and that's not to say that it's OK or anything, but it's like it's just it's just it's part of something that's so dated. Right. That like it's hard to get past it now, even though it wasn't really important then to the people who are making it and the sort of hegemonic culture of the time. So it's like, well, okay, well, what are we going to do now? What what can we do now if we can't rely on the, you know, resonance of like stealing the golden idol from the temple because we've decided that it's wrong, right? Um, or like we've listened to the people who've been telling us that it was wrong the whole time, right? Like, okay. Uh, and I'm not, and what I'm saying then is like, okay, now we need to reckon with this. This is a different movie now. This is a different story now. If the issue is that things have changed, and and using the same icon, icon iconography and stuff. So like a good example from this movie um, and how this movie treats it, because one of the things I love about this movie is the way it treats this concept. The idea that Indiana Jones is full of physical objects that had retro currency when the movie was made in the 80s and whose retro currency continues to get more and more retro, right? Uh, such that as like when Indiana Jones, there's that great shot early in the movie where he like, it's almost like a video game where he's like getting up to get on top of the train and the Raiders March starts playing, right? It's like, da, 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 da. And he's like getting up to her and he's going, okay, yep. we're going to yeah. do the thing the where I run across applauded. the top that's, of that's the train, fine. right? Yeah, it, was, it was great. Yeah. And it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's the first, well, there was a, a brief entrance of the theme early when the bag was pulled off his head by the Nazis and he was, he was revealed. But this is the first like full statement of the theme. And it's kind of like, ah, yes. I mean, the feeling, it's a, str- a feeling of strong arrival, right? Like this is yeah. what we came here for and this is what we came here to hear. Yes, exactly. And so I don't, and the train is strong enough that it still has the currency and it has that sort of, we have sense memories of being around trains that help us connect with this scene. Uh, even though this is a shot that's essentially from like 1903, right? <laughs> like this is like, like running along the top of a train is something that's been around as long as action movies has been, have been around, uh-huh. uh, you know, a very long time. And, and, but it, you know, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, uh, is it, is it, is it, it's not Casino Royale or is it Skyfall? That begins with the fight on top of the train. Is it's it's not Casino Royale because that begins with Skyfall. Uh, Skyfall begins um, with that yeah. wonderful fight on top of a train. And there's been lots of movies with great fights on top of trains. But the point is that that's a great Indiana Jones shot because I think I also think all those other movies are being influenced to extent by Indiana Jones because of the way that they have these like wonderfully composed shots of these sort of vis- visceral physical objects that the character is kind of endeavoring with and kind of adventuring with. 
and kind of being imperiled by and then kind of like being okay right um and uh and and i don't know i mean i'm i'm, I'm losing my track a little bit but the point the point of all of it is that that the things that are old in this movie feel old because Indiana Jones as a concept, as well as as an actor, as well as as a person, as well as as a film franchise, is an old concept. And so the movie turns – this movie turns that into a strength by making this a movie about not only aging but also history, which is, of course, one of my – you know, we've talked about how one of my favorite things about Fast and Furious movies is the geometric – proposition right what is the thing that is happening geometrically in the action movies that is also happening thematically to the characters in superhero movies it's what is the power of the superhero how is that relevant to what's happening in the story right um how is it why does it matter that your person has an iron shell because they're iron man right and it's like oh okay because they have this relationship with the outside world etc cetera, etc cetera. indiana jones is an archaeologist and and it just seems like i haven't seen indiana jones be an archaeologist in a really long time and so he has this relationship with history but he has this relationship with his own history and that's really what it comes around to with the with the uh with the vase and with the, um, uh, you know, I mean, all of the other stuff. I'm w- spending way too much time on this. No, I, lo- so much I love this because you, you sort of had two two ideas of history. So one is the birds, right? Like one is yeah. hit, people are going along, there's a war, and then it yeah. kind of like alters the patterns. The second yeah. is the, the Assyrian pottery, like this awesome thing that has faded to a kind of a dull lecture in a lecture hall to, to a bunch of undergraduates who would rather be outside, you know, celebrating the heroes of the moon landing. And uh, you're you're saying no, this is history. This is history. And the Assyrian pottery, the 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 most you can muster up, like the, mo- the most excited you can get about it is it's characterized by this uh, blue linear pattern on the thing. I I, w- I would also say to to me, I caught that and I thought, well, Indiana Jones movies are characterized by a red line uh, on a map <laughs> you know, yeah, that yes. goes from from uh, from place to place and makes it designed to kind of account for some of the account for some of the travel. But then then is there a third? Is there a third history? Just because uh, things history happens in threes, Pete. I don't know if you know. That. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, is there a third and final theory of history posited by the film that uh, you know might contrast or, or compare with the other two? Well, I think there's three that are of this level, and then there's others. But the third one is the, when Indiana Jones's revelation at the end of the movie that because of continental drift, the ways that future generations have interpreted the math of Archimedes is wrong, mm. right? That that future generations look at the math of Archimedes, and because Archimedes didn't understand or have any observation of continental drift, which is apparently a concept that's only been around since like the, like the uh, uh, well, you have to more, have math the coast. You have to have mapped the coastline of Brazil is basically, I think, where it comes from is you have to have mapped the coastline of Brazil and realize that it looks an awful lot like the coastline of Central Africa. And there isn't really a group of people who do both those things until like the 16th century. And at that point, people start having this idea of like, wait a minute, those two places look like they could have fit together. Right. Like maybe, you know, there were the continents moved. Right. But if you didn't have any of those maps, there's you're not going to look at the Mediterranean and think, oh, this all fit together at one point, because that's not how the Mediterranean was created. Right. It wasn't created in the same way. But um, the idea that each successive group of people who might have come across the Antikythera might have done Archimedes's math, 
which was established by Archimedes for his own self-preservation. Right. That's some, one of the other things I love about this movie is there's really, really important things that are really just sort of let slide. They're peppered in there. They're sort of they're not hammered. It's like someone just says, like, oh, he was calling for help. Yes. Right. Like this whole thing is Archimedes sending up a beacon to time travelers to be like, hey, time travelers, there's a time anomaly right here and I'm going to be killed. Please come save me. And and I'm going to dangle this delightful puzzle in front of you to entice you to do it. Of course, they end up not doing it. Right. But uh, which is which is also delightful. But the idea that like when the Nazis try to do Archimedes's math, their solution is to save themselves from the time that mattered to them. Right. And then when we're looking at Archimedes's math, that brings us to 1969. Right. Which is also like a very important year for us and for like the generation that's making this movie. Right. So like the moon landing and all that stuff and the sort of heyday of the boomers. You know, Indiana Jones is kind of a heyday of the boomers kind of kind of character and kind of artistic expression. Uh, that sort of whole that hope of the new film graduates and the new new style of film that was coming around, like this sort of great cultural expression that was coming out of this this particular generation in this way. Uh, you know, 1969 is a very important year for that sort of thing. And so it turns out that when sort of looking forward into a world in which you have no place, right, like you think about how many times have you heard of people talk about like their own their own childhood as the good old days, mm. right? Or like the times when they were young were the best times. You know, like we, we deal with this all the time in the United States because people always talk about, you know, the 50s, first of all, as if it lasted as long as that 70s show lasted, you know, longer than the 70s. Um, but as, <laughs> it's like, you know, as like this period when everything about America was better. But it's like, no, the people who are talking about it were children. That's what was better. Right. The 50s and 60s were better because you personally were young then. And it, it and you had a different perspective on the passage of time. You hadn't observed continental drift yet, so you didn't really understand how it happened. You know, and this is also the Grandpa Simpson thing. Like I used to be with it, right? Like <laughs> sure, but then, then continental drift. I I used to be with it, but then they changed what it is, right? Yes. Like yes. and that yeah that that uh, history is a process of changing what it is and i love uh you know i love something i think one of you pointed out in slack that like uh as we were prepping for this that like when he finally when when they've time travel oh spoiler alert they time travel when they time travel back to the siege of syracuse um they um that uh uh, he says, Indy says, like, uh, we're, we're witnessing history. We're living through history. But then, of course, like, the moon landing is witnessing history, right? Exactly. Like, yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and he, he doesn't, but, but he's, they've changed what it is. And he, he literally fought in World War II, by the way, right? What is, what is not, li- what is living through history, if not that, right? Right. But the, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, and I was thinking about it, like, oh, I was, I was trying to, like, uh, you know, put on my gruff, uh, Dr. Jones hat and, and sort of think, you know, what do I think of this idea of like, oh, well, this is history. It's like, well, no, that's not history. That's, that's technology. Right. And like, I, I was thinking about the, the relationship between, between, uh, history and technology because it's sort of like the war, the war theory that, right? Like some, uh, that, that, you know, science changes everything. It's a theory of punctuated equilibrium, right? That, that everything's going along, everything's going along, you're in equilibrium. And then, you know, some crisis event happens and, and like scientific discoveries, uh, like, oh, say the discovery of time travel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like would punctuate that, would punctuate that equilibrium. But the whole, I mean, like, uh, I think the the interesting thing about the continental drift theory is that the the movie k- 
kind of pulls its punch on that one because it turns out that when you, you use Antikythera, um, no matter where you go, no matter where you set it to, you go back to Syracuse. You know, you go back to, uh, you go back to save Archimedes. And that's, uh, that there's kind of a bait and switch with the, with the whole thing. And like how, you know, I don't know if, if they had found it in World War II, right? And like imagine, that Hitler himself had like stepped through the portal and found himself back in this, this siege, uh, that it would have been a, I mean, it would have been a, uh, it would have been a, a different movie, an interesting one. I'd love to, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anyone did any work on that draft of the film, but, uh, uh, and I would have loved to see it, but like a, a very different film. Like, so it's actually, it's, it's not the, the message that the film gives is not that like, well, they change what it is and you either have to get with it or you, it is going to leave you behind it's actually you never knew uh it's it's actually it is a lie right like it is yeah. a bait and switch you never knew what it was all uh you never knew what it was all along and uh what it is is uh you know people trying to survive yeah you don't know what you got till it's gone right i guess uh, so yeah i mean they, yeah they, yeah they did pave paradise and and they did put up a parking lot um <laughs> yeah. And then and the, the last one, just there's also, I mean, again, there's history is money because the artifacts get bought and sold. There's that section of it, right? There's like history is children. The, 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 I will say social history is plays a part too. the idea that you should go to primary sources and listen to the way that people talked about their lives, right? From the time period, Indiana Jones offers a sort of social history of the Vietnam War <laughs> and this sort of home front in the Vietnam War because he lost his son, right? And he, in this sort of tearful confession, which is another form of history that's both his personal history and a history from an important historical moment. So there's all sorts of different ways that this movie addresses history. Um, there's, there's of course, like the global South is a consideration in this movie uh, to the extent that that concept, you know, sort of is as broadly uh, as broadly applicable as as the headline suggests. Uh, you know, there's oral history because Sala is telling the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark to his kids, like um, C-3PO telling the story of Star Wars to the Ewoks, mm. right? like in Return of the Jedi. That's so true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's like, oh, you know, this is the great thing that happened. And, and everybody telling the story, every method in which the story is told is is biased in some way. Right. Like uh, is is warped in some way. There's a perspective that you can't really extricate yourself from, whether you're the bird watcher, whether you're the aging person who sees the world move around you, whether, you know, you're the the uh, the person who remembers things and who sees things being forgotten. Right. And, and has to work to remember things that everybody else used to know. Right. Um, or whether it's that you uh, you knew people and love people who died. Right. Like but or. Yeah. You so, really to yeah. check on that briefly, Pete, yeah. like. The warp perspective, like the tell me with this interpretation, if you agree with this, like when he tells um, uh, Helena that uh, after his son died, that it was Marion who spiraled into depression. Right. Yes. That is a very warped thing. What turns out is actually, oh, he's just talking about himself or he's just unable to realize that that uh, that was that was him. That's so fascinating because that's another like hugely important thing that the movie doesn't really hit you over the head with. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is that Indiana Jones's own story of his divorce or separation or wherever they are in the, in the phase is that, yeah, Marion couldn't handle the death of his son. And he, as a bird watching kind of historian who like wants to prevent bad things from happening. Right. It's like the Nazis are going to change the world. I'm going to stop it. Mm. Being against change for me mm. is a good thing. Cause the people trying to change things are bad. 
oh, great. Now I'm in a time frame where wanting to change things is good. And now I'm I'm a relic and nobody cares about me and none of my nothing. I also this thing in my life changed and I can't change it back. I can't do anything. And I can't cope with this, right? But all of that put together, it's like he tells you that Marion was the one who had the bigger problem. And then at the end of the story, it really strongly suggests that he was the one who fell into the very deep depression, the alcoholism, all that stuff because of the loss of, of Sheila. Oh, Booth. who hasn't? Who hasn't poured? Optimus half. Prime has been drinking himself crazy. Who hasn't he's just, poured half he's a, a bottle? He's a monkey of, now, a gorilla. It doesn't make any sense. It's half just a bottle Shia. Of, uh, of bourbon. All into the subsequent Holes and... movies have been incredibly depressing. Losing Shia LaBeouf is just unbearable. So that's, I mean, like that, that's a little bit like, um, that what so much for the, like the great future of this franchise, right? Like (laughs) (laughs) this was the whole, you know, the whole thing, like where, you know, in silhouette, Shia LaBeouf almost puts on the hat and it's like, not yet kid, you know, like, uh, but like this, you know, we're going to, to deliver this, this franchise into your hands. And I, I, um, you know, watching the kid in this movie, I thought I, in my mind, I had not really clocked that it was James Mangold directing and not Steven Spielberg. But I thought, like, I thought the kid was pretty good. And I, I like, I was like, oh, Spielberg just has an eye for picking kids, like from ET, from, you know, uh, from Close Encounters, right? Like Temple of Doom. Yeah. Uh, has an eye for it. And, um, here, here's another one. Well, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that. And, and that was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf. It was, he was supposed to be this like anointed by Steven Spielberg future of the franchise. And like his, his off screen death is a, a bizarre, I mean, from, from, from the point of view of the kind of the economics of like making huge movies, right? Like not, not to, not to trivialize the, you know, horrible human toll of, of the, the war in Vietnam, but like it's a bizarre thing. It's a bizarre way to deal with that problem narratively, right? Oh, yeah. I hope Shia LaBeouf loves it. I hope (laughs) Shia LaBeouf loves that he goes from, like, straddling two Jeeps (laughs) in a fencing match with monkeys in one movie to, like, tragically dying off screen in Vietnam in the next movie. He actually, yeah, I mean, I I think Shia LaBeouf is doing a one-man show, actually, where he tells the story of his character in the first person. Yeah. No, I'm not. No, he's oh, man, not. He's not. But he should. He should do that in oh, yeah. black box theaters, oh, in yeah. like little forty seater oh, oh. black box yeah. theaters all around, where he just and it's just like the most wrenching, moving, heartfelt performance you've ever seen. Yeah. From you know, uh, talking about how you know, following his uh, his you know, monkey fencing astride two motorcycles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, like, down in the mud in Vietnam. <laughs> that, like, yeah, exactly. How, like, you know, the first day I showed up for basic, you know, a lot of a lot of the people in basic were drafted, not me. I volunteered. I'm I'm Indiana Jones the third. I forget what his character. Yeah, I and there's well, he he, uh, he confides into his close friend. You know, in this moment of vulnerability, it's like, but, like, man, you don't know what's out there. There's I, I saw aliens. You know, <laughs> like I saw Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I know I'm imagining <laughs> Sheila Buff's character from Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull in Apocalypse Now, like hanging out with Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Aliens, man. To bring us back around to this movie for a second. Yeah, why like, would you why would we, you do we, that? What, what what we're talking about here, uh, at least what comes to mind for me, is one of the weaknesses in this. Like there's a lot of emotional stuff going on off screen here. Yes. Right. The Marion stuff, of course, you know, the mutt. 
Sheila Booth stuff. Appropriate, um, appropriate and, for a Greek tragedy, right? Like uh, all the important um, moments happen off sure. screen. Then the characters <laughs> enter and you just talk about it. Right. Yeah. 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 And just uh, like in a Greek tragedy, all the other scenes involve riding rickshaws, <laughs> like at high speeds and or boats. Sorry, definitely. Sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Um, but but I want to talk about like other strengths of this movie here. Um, while well, we still got some time. Oh yeah. Um, and also like you know we, we've gone this entire time talking about things that are old and war and um you know uh, uh these you know themes that come and go through history and what it means to be in the past and things like that but nazis guys let's talk about the nazis okay? right yes. they're back baby they never went away they've yep. been here all along um okay so get the obvious thing out there right like regrettably as recent history has shown us unfortunately the specter of nazism white supremacy totalitarianism blah 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 is all still with us so sure i guess you know better for worse you can still tell a story about punching a nazi and killing nazis it was was so much better in the 50s man there was no (laughs) uh, you know (laughs) i mean but isn't that kind of the point where the the scariest thing he can come up with is like well what if the nazis didn't have hitler like what if they weren't kind of confined to hitler right like what if isn't isn't hitler a weakness of nazism uh isn't isn't that something of a contemporary issue right oh sure because you're 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 being all inception right like you can kill a man but you can't kill an idea and if you find a way to make the idea i mean the idea can be sort of resurgent and that is it is sort of terrifying it's also it's also very dispiriting because it means that these people have either not seen or have taken away the wrong message from the early indiana jones films and uh you know if only if only man so so much better back then when when hiram bingham was (laughs) was looting Machu Picchu and you know, man. But sorry, sorry, like, Mark. I say this not to trivialize sorry. these things. It's it's uh yeah, so we're we're back to Nazis, Mark. We're back to yeah, we're back and, to Nazis. And I, I should just drop this like interesting uh, thought here. Like when I was when the time travel plot and you know um Mads Mickelson's big evil plan kind of fully surfaced, oh he's gonna go back in time and kill Hitler. How what an interesting twist, which is an interesting twist, right? When that all was revealed there, I thought that where this is all going to wind up is that they will wind up in Munich in 1939. And then Indiana Jones, irony of ironies, would have to save Hitler's life right. in order to you know, preserve the timeline and you know, prevent a, this even worse thing from happening. Um, from what I understand, James Mangold has said that that was an earlier draft of it. But they went in a very different direction um, you know, to kind of keep things centered more on the uh, on, on uh, Indiana's uh, character journey for all the reasons that we've, we've talked about before. So that aside, like, so we're left with like, you know, we've got Nazis in 1969. Um, they, uh, they, they, <laughs> they made sure to bring the uniforms along with them. Very good choice. Strong fashion choice. Um, very conscious of that. Um, and, and like, I, I wanted to Besides kind of just putting all that on the table, I also wanted to like have a moment to appreciate Mads Mikkelsen's performance in this, right? Uh, maybe like are we just taking for granted that um, you know he can show up, you know, do the do the accent, um, you know, have that uh, you know, menacing <laughs> look and those that angular jaw and, and look on his face and just like you know sell a film, <laughs> like you know carry carry all the villainy there or like what else is going on? 
with, with his character and his performance. It's true. He does make it look easy. Like, you know, this is the man. Remember, he stepped in for Johnny Depp in this, uh, you know, insipid oh, wow. uh, Harry Potter, <laughs> uh, right, you know, quintilogy. Something like one. One of them was too many. But uh, anyway, like, he, right. Like, and he just brings this. uh you know, he just brings all of this stuff into the into the room with him, and his acting, yeah, his acting is is super great. Like he just he owns the screen. You want to look at him. He does very little, but has a huge impact. Like as far as film, you know, film acting and what you want from a like a guy acting in a movie. Like he he just he he brings the pain. You know, it's it's uh yeah, it's pretty cool. I think Harrison Ford himself, no slouch. Like this was a. a thought a pretty well acted Harrison Ford performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, these two actors, right. They're both older men out of their time and trying to get back to something that they've lost, mm. but you know, going about it in very different ways. Mm. That, I mean, yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's a good point. I don't know. I thought Harrison Ford's speech, for example, about like when he did all of a sudden, you know, you start in this one, in this single shot, like pushing in on him as the music goes. And he's like, well, I would have I would go back and tell my son not to enlist. I would tell him that he dies in Vietnam and that his mother can't take the grief. When he's telling the story that that is later sort of suggested is is false or at least is a very skewed version of of what what happened. I I like sort of sat up in my chair from like, you know, fiddling around with my popcorn. <laughs> Right, like and and uh, and I don't know, like uh, alternating between that and my red vines. Um, like the I I looked up and it's like, oh wow, okay, we're we're doing this now, right? Like we're 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 pushing in on this guy and giving the like the you know I don't know the weight of my life and the cost of history type of uh, type of monologue uh now and um and i i don't know i thought he did a great job like i i think that like in terms of bringing the kind of the the sorrowful sorrowful gravitas um because if you look at the early uh, harrison ford did a great job if you look at his early work he's he's notable for being like you know definitely very watchable super charismatic he's got a great sort of persona i'm not sure he has a lot of versatility as an actor in those in those early days and in those early roles i'm not sure he was hired for that um you know and it it's it's turned out that you know he's got a he's really but he brings all that charisma but brings a great deal of sort of soulfulness i think to um to to what he's doing and i I would i would not call it range but i i would call it moving Sure. Yeah. 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 And that reminds me of another kind of uh, a point I want to discuss on here. Right. It's like, you know, the, the meta stories going on here. We've talked about there's a lot of, you know, um, uh, there's a lot of that uh, running throughout the movie. But like uh, one important one here is like Harrison Ford, we have to assume, is back doing this at 80 years old because he felt like the character deserved a better send off than Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think that's a pretty safe assumption and it was successful. Absolutely. In there. Um, and it also kind of just like, you know, but it also has creates an interesting tension with the, all the things we talked about here in terms of history and what's in the past and letting go of the past and moving forward with your life and things like that. Um, so has he created this, this movie where a central theme of it, at least on the uh, one way to interpret it is, um, letting go of the past, you know, not just trying to live in the past and move forward with life and, and be present in the future. Has he, has he told that story, but also like, you know, 
at the cost of, you know, bringing back a character 40 years after its inception and kind of like, you know, hitting that nostalgia button again. Is there a tension there or am I misinterpreting something? Tension around hitting the nostalgia button. Yeah. Could you say, could you it's like characterize that for me a little bit? Yeah, it's the the movie, especially because he's like, you know, he wants to die in antiquity and become history. And he doesn't want to go back to the present and deal with the way that the world has changed with the moon landing and also try to repair his marriage and, you know, move past the death of his son, all that kind of stuff. He still has things to live for going into the into the future. Right. Right. So that is like, you know, a, a very much a, like a on the surface message of the movie. Right. And you're and so if that's the message of the movie, then why are we spending our hard earned money watching Indiana Jones? movies? Exactly. Yes. Because we yes. should be moving on and doing other things with our lives. Uh, I mean, that's I think that's and again, I'm not saying they literally are saying that right in terms of like, stop, stop having children. Keep watching, you know, crawl. <laughs> like <it's, laughs> crawl won't watch itself. You must keep watching Crawl because nothing new is ever good. Uh, and, uh, no, no, no. Although I feel like that is a way of looking at this sort of thing, uh, perhaps. But yes, it's uh, it, it is it is interesting. It it feels like Logan to an extent. I mean, the movie isn't the same genre as Logan. It's not a, like a western, um, and so it does, and it's not as bleak as Logan. This is another James Mangold film. This is the film about Wolverine uh, being old. Yeah, which we're all like pretty big fans of. Like, oh yeah, that movie's podcast. spectacular. It's one of the only movies I've seen twice in the theater in the past ten years. The other one being Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one I think. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, um, it's it's doesn't necessarily feel nostalgic. Like there are moments that are heavily nostalgic in the movie, but the raison d'etre of the movie itself is not nostalgia, perhaps because. We are more sad about we're more honestly sad about the thing that we've lost than we would have been if we were approaching this from a nostalgic perspective. Right. Like the pain of Indiana Jones kind of like being elderly and disregarded is different from the pain of like, you know, uh, Indiana Jones kind of getting on for one last ride. Right. Like that sort of sweet sorrow of nostalgia, the sort of Don Draper carousel of uh, of pain. Uh, you know, in that, for that <laughs> famous speech, which is not his, his wrestling move. That's his uh, it's his, his ad. It's marketing pitch for the uh, for for the for the Kodak carousel. Right. Is what it is. It's uh, that that's it. That's the, the, the title. Dial of Destiny is bad. Right. Which should be Indiana Jones yes. and the rotated carousel of pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What were some of the good ones we came up with in the chat? I mean, I like when you said Indiana Jones and the end of history. I felt like that was a good one. Uh, I liked uh, Indiana Jones and no. the horse on the subway. I think that was a good one. I think that's really. I really want to see that movie really fleshed out. Like I'm just taking a horse on the subway. I'm an old man. <laughs> like, I, like, I, I sort of like Indiana Jones, No Country for Old Men. That yes, I came up yes, to yes. because, and I also like to imagine the the kind of like counterfactual of. Uh, what if what if Tommy Lee Jones were Indiana Jones? What if what if Jones was Jones? <laughs> Tommy Lee Indiana Jones Jr. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And what was the one that with the one in French? 
Oh, uh, Indiana Jones a la recherche du temps perdu. The the title of In Search of Lost Time. The title of Proust's right. you know eight volume uh, magnum opus, um, right. which get, usually gets translated Remembrance of Things Past, or at least once was was translated as Remembrance of Things Past. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I thought. I mean, it was sort of. Fu- it is sort of funny that like because it's about nostalgia and memory and the the relationship of that to to history and whatnot. Um, yeah. Yeah. What a what a uh, I mean. Yeah, but Dial of Destiny is pretty. Uh, I made fun of it at the top of our show, and it was—I um, don't know—kind of a kind of weak sauce as a title. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be drawn from a comic book series called Indiana Jones and the Spear of Destiny, aka the Lanch of Longinus or Longinus, which is the quest in that comic book series, in that comic mini series, and is the ostensible quest at the beginning of this movie, which is then sort of hijacked by the Antikythera quest. So it's almost like somebody made. You know, Star Wars, you know, the uh, the Empire Strikes Up and it's like (laughs) same plot at the beginning as Empire Strikes Back. But then it's a hot air balloon race. (laughs) It's all pod racing. Uh, But no, no, no. But yeah, it's there is a pedigree to it, but it does end up feeling like one of those PC games from the 90s, like Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Right. uh, Or the early 2000s. Right. Where it's like uh, Indiana Jones just has a bunch of stuff. That he goes out and he gets. And that stuff he doesn't give back, I guess. To be clear, though, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis is a Stone Cold classic. <laughs> and a fantastic story and a great game. Yeah, And I yeah. shall brook no dissent otherwise. <laughs> and I, I like to think that this Indiana Jones is aware of all of those things. Even if he didn't. I mean, whether they're true or not. It's like the other Indiana Jones in the movies, I feel like, was never really... Like he he wasn't really didn't really carry the memory of like the young Indiana Jones Chronicles or all of the computer games or all of the extended the extended media. Uh, you know, the movies were really all you needed to see to keep up with the movies. But uh, but this Indiana Jones, he remembers everything. He remembers the N64 ports. You know, he, he's, he was there <laughs> for all of it, you know. And this Indiana Jones is really what I what we might have hoped for from Han Solo in The Force Awakens, but which we didn't really get. Which is like so. Oh, uh, yeah. Unpack that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a Harrison Ford performance that a embraces who Harrison Ford has become and how time has changed him, right? Because like he's an actor, you know. Believe it or not, Disney, he's still a flesh and blood being and not entirely computers. Uh, not yet, anyway. He's more machine now than man, <laughs> twisted and deep faked. Uh, but um, <laughs> but like uh, you know, he's a person, and and actors are these biological things, you know, as well as all the other things that they are, and they change over time, like. And so if you're going to use the same actor a whole bunch of times, like, why not embrace the way that the actor has changed? They did it with Clint Eastwood and he did great. You know, El Camino is solid. (laughs) 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 Although he also was old when he was 15. Wait, do you mean, do you mean Gran Torino? Yes. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) El Camino. Grant. I mean, Gran Torino. Same thing. Same movie. Uh, you know, El Camino, you know I think that, that, that Plymouth Roadrunner, that movie that uh, Clint Eastwood made about Hades' neighbors and be racist. About yeah, Clint, Clint Eastwood <laughs> about how he was once the partner of a drug dealer named Walter White, and how yes. uh, at the very end he. That's right. That's the name of the Breaking Bad movie. Yes, we, yes. we haven't even talked about Phoebe Waller Bridge, who I think is oh. very good. Uh, yes, I, 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 like a, a really a worthy successor to you know the um, kind of adventuring companions that Indy gets in the. Uh, in the early earlier movies, um, and and you know brings I don't know like I I think of her mostly as a writer performer and she's not a credited writer on this but she you know I don't know she she does bring the quips and the uh, 
uh, right? Like the kind of the, the snappy banter, the sort of throwback to the, you know, his girl Friday type, um, uh, type movie banter, which was like another thing that they liked and that, that, uh, was a characteristic of those, those old movies that, that, uh, Spielberg and, and Lucas at Alia, um, enjoyed. It kind of made the basis for their 1970s film, uh, you know, Renaissance. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, she was good. I enjoyed her in this. Like, to be clear, like, the arc that she goes on, which I don't know if it was fully convincing, was that, um, I think, I credit to someone else was in her, in her back channel chat, that she goes from, like, Temple of Doom, Indiana, where she's just in it for the money, and then progresses to become Last Crusade, Indiana, where she cares about relationships and family and doing the right thing and fighting Nazis and stuff. Yeah, she ends is up that, saving her dad, right, at the end, because he's, like, her surrogate dad. That, yeah, dad. yep. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, like, he en- she ends up, like, dragging him out of the out of the historical place as it's being destroyed right like uh when he's incapable of doing it himself and is just dying right like yeah for real because because all of her stuff about all all of her behaviors that are so like sort of you know problematic are behaviors that indiana jones did when he was younger I learned it from you godfather yeah, i learned it from you how are you so how is she so self-reliant oh, oh, yeah <laughs> right, right, right. there's this great moment also by the way it's like you know who goes around memorizing their dad's you know crazy diaries and it's like um that sounds familiar indiana hmm. yeah exactly he did it exactly there's oh so many little gems in this in this movie yeah. i loved her uh her white indiana jones outfit yeah her like her white hat and her like white uh sort of pullover or whatever it was blouse um Actually, was it white linen or you mean yeah when she goes to when they're going to the they're going to the cave right and she yeah, yeah she gets adventurer gear which is that th- that definite like uh Catherine Hepburn type pants and the yeah the linen blouse that she ties up you know above her stomach and like uh what do you think of my new and she's like what do you think of my new outfit you know, and yeah. the, to the kid and the kid is like, I thought we were just going to sell a bunch of stuff and get out of here. I want to go back and play some video games, you know, yeah. but, but she's like, <laughs> I have another- an awesome outfit. He, yes. he just wants to go back and play a uh, paper flight simulator. <laughs> in a, the in most a important casino. thing about yes. this movie is that it understood Indiana Jones's hat, which yes. is the most important thing about him. Even more important than that. He does archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's that like that if, if you could if you wanted to make an Indiana Jones thing. And you want to do it with a stick figure and like not mention anything. Here's what you do. You put a hat on his head uh-huh. and then you have something happen that causes the hat to fly off his head. Right. And then have him appear to die or be in like dire straits or like terrible, terrible things are happening to him. And then at a key moment to reveal that he is, in fact, OK, the hat goes back on his head. Right. Like that's the rhythm of the Indiana Jones. Right. Like even more than anything else is like reaching up over that cliff. And putting the hat back on, you know, like uh, is is really like the key Indiana Jones under gesture. yeah under the door as it's uh, as it's closing, right? Like you slide yeah, in yes. barely with your life, and then you reach through and grab the hat because you can't. Yeah. yeah, you can't do it. And so I, she had a hat. She got a hat. She understood history as influence, right? It's not perfect. She doesn't look just like Indiana Jones, but she sure is influenced by him. Yeah, right. Like in that way, she's kind of repeating him, but but she's very sixties. You know, like she's very mod in her sensibilities in certain ways, right? Like, uh, and she's certainly new, new left. You know, yeah, that was that was the wonder. I mean, that was the wonderful thing. Like at the end of of uh, Crystal Skull, like Shia LaBeouf was 
prevented from wearing the hat. He was disallowed from wearing the yes. hat. And they, they rectified that in this film. They, they, you know, the kind of the successor character, the generational character, uh, from Indy has to, uh, you got to get a hat. You got to get a hat yeah. is the only thing, you know, you got to yeah. get a hat. And that's, I, I like that Pete. Like I, I definitely like, I was really noticing my response to the kind of the iconic look and you're right that the hat is the most important part about it but also like tan shirt black tie leather jacket you know like the whole uh you know the whip but the whip wasn't used i don't think you you believe uh elderly harrison ford swinging around on on the whip like the whip came into play a couple times when he was like uh keeping nazis back or something you know like like they were vicious beasts or or whatever like he could have whipped away some of the bugs in the in the bug cave um i wanted to see i wanted to see the bad guys uh deal with the bugs in the bug cave i wanted like matt mads mickelson to be like napalm and you know he just like (laughs) blows up all the bugs also you can't have a methane leak in a cave with uh, checkoffs can't have a methane link in a cave without having a huge explosion and the cave blows up and like a tongue of fire shoots out of the like the opening the mouth of the you don't mean you can't have it chemically you mean you can't put it in a movie you can't put it you can't put a methane leak in a movie without having an enormous explosion to follow it was very that was very disappointing to me also like oh it's methane don't breathe and she's like really affected by it she is like very much at the effect of like uh uh, having this this you know unbreathable gas and Harrison Ford you know forty years her senior is fine, uh, <laughs> just like you know cool I'm I'm breathing uh, you know breathe easy like I, I yeah I'm working on a, I got I got a new CPAP machine you know <laughs> like it's a, <laughs> my airways are open uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> young amazing. young Miss and anyway sorry yeah a lot of lot of uh a lot of little details i definitely pete i think you're right it was i mean it was like a to me it was like a bag of beautiful marbles you know like uh or or you know what it was like it was like a uh it was like a bag of sand you know and that you hold in front of you and you just kind of like sprinkle some of the sand from the bag in front of you as you try to match the the and and some of the grains of sand and that that comprised this that this movie comprised the whole comprises the parts the parts constitute though that this movie comprised were um uh were very beautiful grains of sand you know cut cut from uh beautiful beautiful crystalline rocks uh you know uh hewn by time into these tiny uh uh tiny little magnificent granules um that that you sprinkle in front of the idol as you try to get the bag to the same weight as the idol and then you pull the switcheroo as you switch the bag for the idol and it sounds like you know what you're saying is that for you the the movie uh the movie snatched the idol and, and you know to me it would uh, to me maybe the giant boulder one in this uh <laughs> ultimately right like in the you know in the binary scale like uh what was it a one or was it was it a zero but i i think we agree that the the you know the the luminescence and the um you know, gravity of that bag of sand was uh, a beautiful, uh, you know, was a beautiful thing to to behold and experience. Yeah. Can I make one more pitch for this movie being awesome? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Please. Let's yeah. let's go okay. out. Of, let's go out on that. I wanted to start on a positive note. Let's end on a positive. Here, note. Here's here's one more pitch when the movie about the movie being awesome. So uh, the Nazis go back in time to kill 
an important historical figure. The Nazis, in fact, do end up participating in the death of an important historical figure. Trivia question for you. What important historical figure are the Nazis in this movie involved directly in the death of other than Archimedes? Is the is the like the Roman is the Roman centurion supposed to be someone who is uh I don't I don't think so. Oh no, okay. I don't think so. But here's what I'll tell you. I think it's Jesus Christ. Oh wow. Why? Because I think remember the Lance of Longinus at the beginning of the movie, they say it has to be fake because it's been made from an alloy that's only existed for fifty years. And the Nazis go back in time with a whole bunch of Nazi steel and Nazi aeronautics equipment and dump it like uh, the carcass of a dragon in front of a Roman legion 200 and some odd years before the death of Christ. I'm saying I don't think the Lance of Longinus in the beginning of the movie is fake. I think it's the real Lance of Longinus. And I think that the Nazis took, I think the Romans took the Nazis plane and made it into the spear that they killed Jesus with. Uh, I think that that's in this movie. And I think that the reinforcement of that idea is that when Indiana Jones wakes up uh, from his punchitude, he has been given a gift, which is the spearhead of a Roman legionary, right? Um, it's either that or it's one of the harpoons right, from one from of the that, ballistas yeah. that was shot. There's a, there's yeah. just this giant spearhead that's just sitting right there next to him on his nightstand. And for me, that recalled the Lance of Longinus and the idea that, though that one was fake. And it's also kind of self-created, right? And it's like, well, now you have a real one and you have one that you got yourself. Uh, and, and there's this whole idea of like the arrow of time and and this notion that Indian Jones himself might be sort of a spear that's hurled through time and history, uh, you know, and sort of ends up broken. Uh, but having kind of slain things, I'm not sure. But uh, but I thought that was really cool when I when I realized that when I thought like, huh, I bet you the spear was real. I also don't know whether that was intentional at all. <laughs> right. Like, uh, but uh, but it's kind of amazing to think that it might have been. It is a um, great. Yeah. I mean, that is a great. Um, what is it called? The the ancestor paradox or something like that? Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a closed time loop kind of movie. Right. Everything already happened. Um, I also really loved and this will be my last little praise for the movie uh, because we didn't really praise. um I want to make sure I get her name so that we can praise her because she did a really good job. Uh, Seanette Renee Wilson as Agent Mason from this, presumably the CIA, right, who exists, whose movie is very sad, right? Like because she's like a young spy who's hired. Uh, the actress has said uh, as part of a of a movement by the CIA and FBI to hire young black people because they're trying to infiltrate the Black Panthers. She gets put on this kind of secret detail that's working for this scientist. And she's working with these guys uh, who seem a little bit, you know, trigger happy. And, and, and she calls him a trigger happy cracker. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and she has this horrible moment of like not quite recognition, which reinforces uh, many of the ideas of the impenetrability of the passage of time, right, of history, even though we just talked about the Spear of Longinus, which penetrated history, but like the and Indiana Jones who penetrated history, went through a portal even. We didn't even complain about the portal in this movie. Why do they all end in <laughs> portals? It's a Disney movie now. It has to end in a portal. Well, it didn't, um, it didn't end in a sad goodbye at a portal. So that's, you know, I, I, Harrison Ford was trying to do that. Uh, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge was like, no, <laughs> we're not having a sad goodbye at a portal. Thwack. You know, yeah. that's a... Uh, 
Yeah, which is why it elevates it over the other, you know, weaker movie dramaturgically. Well, yeah, the trade-off here is like, yes, Indiana Jones is not current anymore. Indiana Jones' stories are awkward and difficult to tell unless you have a perspective on them personally that puts them in a positive spin, such as Sala talking about them being part of his immigration story from Egypt. It's difficult to tell the Indiana Jones stories sometimes, and even Indiana Jones has kind of lost lost the thread a little bit, right? But one thing he does have is knowledge. You know, about this crazy fictional world that he lived in, the cup of Kali, right? He saw those mines. Indiana Jones has seen a lot of really terrible stuff. And I think Agent Mason is in there to remind us that, like, you might think you know who the Nazis were, right? Like, you might think you know, (laughs) right? Because you've seen an Indiana Jones movie, what a Nazi is. And I feel like the way that they really up the stakes in this movie. Not even up to stakes. That's a crude way of putting it. And it's 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 also not appropriate. The way that they really defied the not even subverted, but defied the norms of this franchise by really brutally killing a bunch of innocent people like like personally, like fairly early in this movie, like this, like the, the, the woman at the university and the professor just gunned down. Right. Is part of this idea that knowing how bad the Nazis were and how they really couldn't be stopped just by kind of like treating them like a nuisance is a historically privileged base of knowledge that you in the modern day might think you have, but you really don't. And and like that's, and that's why Mason dies is because the Nazis are so much worse than just trigger happy crackers. Right. Um, Even as they venture into the uh, the modern day to do their mischief. Um, And I think that's part of what makes uh, what they're doing so rough and uh, and part of what makes Harrison Ford so sad in this movie is like that this is the kind of world that he's been in. Mm. Um, and so that really struck me. The the moment, I guess, that really punctuates all that is when the Nazi raises his hand in the middle of the crowded parade and fires his gun and like everybody ducks and dives down for cover. And, and Harrison Ford is there standing up all by himself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, a way a lot of people feel about Nazis sometimes. But that uh, that yeah, if you lose track of who they were, that you don't stand up to them when they start hurting people. Yeah, no, I mean, not, um, you know, Nazis don't need to be negotiated with; they need to be punched. Is one of the biggest lessons of of uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, I'm just saying, no ticket. Man. <laughs> <laughs> or the horse on the subway. Hey, oh, it would be a token. Never mind. <laughs> right, exactly. And how can the horse put a token on the subway? He doesn't have an opposable thumb. That's uh, you know. It's the worst uh, anachronism in this film is that the horse on the <laughs> yes. subway. Can we talk about the plot holes? The horse on the subway couldn't have put a token into the token. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You know, like, come on. Turnstiles were historically inaccurate for that time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it there. Thanks very much for listening for us. Uh, Pete and Mark, thanks for podcasting as always. This film was, it was really delightful to, uh, it was really delightful to watch. I think, I think it's great. And if this is in fact, Harrison Ford's last outing as the character, it is, I mean, if you wanted to give it a better send off, a send off superior to, Crystal Skull, uh, mission accomplished. You know, chapeau, Indiana. <laughs> chapeau. Uh, so, uh, hey, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking a Podcast. Who knows? We might even watch another movie. I don't know. We might. Uh, until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't deserve. deserve. It belongs in a museum. Of the moving image.